We've been talking about the value of managing your energy. Today, I want to dive deeper into this subject with Dr. John Townsend, who's a nationally known leadership consultant, psychologist, and New York Times bestselling author. His books have sold over 10 million copies. You may know him from the book called Boundaries. He's got a new book out called People Fuel, Fill Your Tank for Life, Love, and Leadership. We'll dive into an interview with Dr. John Townsend. This is the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. It's great to have you back for another episode of the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. You're in for a massive treat today. I am a huge fan of this guy's work. If you've been around and read any good books, you've probably read one of his. If not, you're going to certainly want to get this one. I've got Dr. John Townsend with me. Welcome aboard. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate your work through the years, and you've got a brand new book out called People Fuel, Fill Your Tank for Life, Love, and Leadership. Congratulations on a brand new book. Thanks. Uh, If people are listening, maybe some people might say, I'm not quite sure who Dr. Townsend is, but the book Boundaries, I'm guessing that was, was that probably your best-selling book? Yeah, that's uh, been north of about 3 million copies so far, Craig. Yeah, that, that book has helped me and then so many people that I know Love the book Boundaries, and I appreciate your work. I'm curious, Dr. Townsend, what got you interested in the field of psychology and relationships? And then when did you make a connection about the interaction with relationships and leadership? Yeah, I I started off as a clinical psychologist, Craig, and had a practice. Um, You might know uh, my writing partner from many books, uh, Henry Cloud. He and I had a health system in the West Coast where we had uh, psychiatric hospitals. We had um, outpatient clinics, a a lot of people in our organization. And on the way to doing that, I would be talking to leaders and they would say, look, I'm not depressed and my, you know, my kids are okay. They're not on drugs. They're nice people, but I really like your approach and do something for us in our organization. So what I did is I took the model, the clinical model, which was about, you know, helping depression and anxiety and families and kind of went on the Jim Collins level of, okay, what would be optimization? What's good to great? How can I get a, a good leader to be a great leader, a great leader to be an optimized leader? How can we get a good organization to be a great one and a great one to be optimized? And the same principles apply in relationships to help organizations and leaders thrive. So here's a, a question I've often wondered, and, and you might be the perfect person to answer it. Are great leaders generally more messed up than normal people? <laughs> I study all these things because I study leadership so much. When you look at the research, not really. It's kind of a flat line. The difference is they're messed up is a higher level messed up than somebody who's not a great leader messed up, if that makes any sense at all, Craig. They have struggles, have struggles in relationships, self-image, struggles in confidence, struggles in staying focused, energizing themselves, but it's kind of the same struggle. So everybody's messed up. Great leaders are just have a higher level of yeah. messed up they're, competence. They're, they're pro- <laughs> their problems are just a little more complicated. I always tell leaders when I'm working with them, look, you're always going to have problems. That's just life. But your goal in growth as a leader is to have a higher level problem every year. If you have lower level problems, like, you know, we're going broke, that's not good. But more complicated, higher level problems means you've got to be growing better too. So higher level problems is a sign that a trend is a friend, really. Well, that might be an encouragement for some people right now because I know there are probably a lot of people that do have some high-level problems right now. And so you can, I guess you can take comfort yes, in the fact can. that the uh, the level of your problems, if they're higher, then you're, you're probably doing more to make a difference. There you go. Hey, let's dive into some of the content of your book because I know this is going to be crazy helpful for our leadership community, People Fuel. I'll introduce a lot of different talks and say something like, 
you know, people ask, what's most important? Is it the right location, the right product, the right level of innovation, the right systems, the right strategy, the right people, on and on and on. And I always come back to people, 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 because people choose the right locations, create the right systems, develop the right products, create the right innovative measures and such. So I want to dive into the content in your book. You, you say that people are the fuel for us to grow, to be healthy and and prosper. For some people that might be a little counterintuitive, they might think that education, books, seminars, conferences, training helps people grow, but you say it's people. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Yeah, it's sort, of, it's sort of the missing link. You know, most of what I study, Craig, is neuroscience and how the brain really tells us how leaders thrive because we're learning so much in these robust studies about success and resiliency and moving forward and creativity. And what we're finding out in the brain science is that one of the missing links happens to people, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why, is, is that not only do people, like you said, they, they're the ones that generate the ideas, generate location, generate the, pro- the, 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 the whole the product, but also people are the ones that drive the vision and we need people in our lives. You see, most leaders, I work with so many leaders around the country, Craig, that they're, they'll say, oh, I've got a lot of people in my life. I'm mentoring this person. I'm guiding this person. I'm, I'm directing this team. I'm doing this. And I'll say, goodness gracious, I'm getting tired. Is there anybody that not, you're not outsourcing to? Or is it anybody inputting you? And they'll say, well, yeah, my, my spouse and my Labrador retriever, Max, they're, they're nice to me. And I'll go, yeah, that's a problem. You need people that you're outsourcing to, but you got to make sure as a leader that you're inputting the right people into you who are the gains and not the drains because most leaders, unfortunately, are attracted to too many drains and not gains, and they lose creativity, they lose focus, they lose moxie, they lose mojo, all those things. It comes from their great relationships. I'm, I'm curious, you write in your book, Dr. Townsend, about the fact that all of us need to need. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at us at a neuroscience design level, it's what's called attachment theory. We found out so much of the brain, hard science, now I mean research, hard science, Craig, is that there are different sources of energy that we all need. You know, we all know you need to sleep enough. You all know that you need to, you know, have the great nutrition and work out and have a positive attitude and this sort of thing. But what people miss, that is, um, as a leader level, is they, they, they miss the good things that come toward us from relationships. We're finding out if you've got somebody in your life that's interested in you and saying positive, true things about you and that you can, the real key really is vulnerability. If you can be vulnerable with a few people, in the book I talk about a life team of somewhere between three and 10 people. If you've got them in your life and you can really open up how hard things are when you need to vent, when you're struggling, you feel that energy that you don't have. So you gotta do all the disciplines of life, nutrition, sleep, and all that. But if you don't have enough of the right people feeding into you when you're vulnerable, you lose a major source of energy and productivity. So when I was in my 20s, it seemed like my professors and even my mentors kind of told us, you know, you really shouldn't let people know when you struggle. You should kind of keep up the illusion of kind of knowing it all. And you're taking a a really different stance. What would you say to a leader that is maybe afraid to be vulnerable? How would you help her or him get over that hurdle? I would address it on two levels, Craig. First, I take it on a research level. They, they did a lot of research in leaders between the bulletproof leader, like you know Superman or Captain Marvel, and the vulnerable leader, the one that says, you know, I'm struggling or I didn't do a good job last quarter. Or I'm, you know, I, I kind of didn't, I didn't lead you guys like I needed to, and that's my, that's on me. And you would think that everybody wants to be around Superman, but we found out that. 
the, the one that was vulnerable, their people were loyal, Craig, and they, they would walk over hot coals for me. They, they found out the principle of identification. I can't identify with Superman. I know I've got feet of clay. I know I'm screwed up. I know I've got these problems. I, he sounds like an alien to me, but I can identify with that leader that says, you know, some of this is my fault. And I'm going to get better at it. So number one, I'd address on a research level. If you're vulnerable in the right ways, and I do a lot of training on the right kind of vulnerabilities, people say, I'm following you. The second thing is to help them open up about what their thoughts are about vulnerability in the first place. You know, the research says vulnerability is good. You find that a lot of leaders though have a voice in their head. We call it the, the harsh judge. There's a judge that beats us up. And the, it says, watch out. If you open up, you're going to be disqualified. You're going to be rejected. You're going to let everybody down. And you got to change that. I mean, certainly you can't be vulnerable with everybody. You can't have a big board meeting and be vulnerable about everything. That's, that's not productive, but vulnerable about performance issues, especially that the right people, Craig, will go, hey, thanks for saying that. You know, I trust you. And you got to change the message in your head that vulnerability is a good thing and not a bad thing. What happens if a leader chooses not to be vulnerable? Well, I think it, like any other factor in optimization, that's one less um, piece of, of, of data and one less skill that you have, which means the person may not go bankrupt or anything, but they're not going to be optimized. I always tell leaders that can't be vulnerable, look, you're, you're a Lamborghini. You've got 16 you know, cylinders inside the hood. But because you can't be vulnerable, you got to keep it together all the time, you're working on nine cylinders. Now, your company and the world and your stakeholders are going to go, hey, they're doing okay. But you and your heart know I could be at 16 if I open up to the right people. We have a lot of younger leaders that listen to the podcast. Would you say, and I'm just curious, I don't know the answer to this, would you say there's even a deeper need for vulnerability with a 20-something-year-old leader than there was in the past? Is that a changing trend or has it always been constant? I'm seeing, because I work with both generations too, and I'm seeing that they are better than that than we are. They get it, they know it, and you know they'll say, I don't want to work here because there's not community where I can be open. So it's a little harder for the older generation to be that way, but I think it's the best way to be. Mm -hmm. well, let's talk about kind of appropriate vulnerability. Let's say that I'm leading a team full of volunteers or I've got a startup team with you know, maybe eight team members or I'm a CEO and I've got 3,000 staff members. What would be different about vulnerability at those levels and what would be um, a constant? Yeah, the key is performance at work versus life in general. See, we're supposed to have people on our life team that know everything. There probably shouldn't be people we're with at work because of reporting structures, and you kind of have this governor in your head about, gosh, if I report to you, it's going to affect my comp. So those are people in your life that are probably not at work. They're in your, you know, your family or your church or your friends. But in the work environment, you keep it limited to performance. For example, hey, I didn't do a great job on you know, the count and we lost some money and I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what's wrong. Or I'm a bit overwhelmed and I just want you guys to know that, that I've gotta get my priorities, I've gotta think through this. People go, hey, I get overwhelmed too, thank you. So you keep it limited to the work and performance arena and you just say, I'm not everything I need to be. And you build a culture, and the, here's the cool thing about it, you build a culture of high vulnerability and high performance. High vulnerability and ownership leads to high performance. It wins for us. It doesn't lose for us. Mm -hmm. I, I agree completely. You know, Dr. Townsend, on our podcast, we've been talking recently about the difference between managing just your time and also managing your energy. And you write in your book a lot about that, about getting energy from people. Yep. And you talk about 
22 practices, or I think you call them nutrients. Relational nutrients. Yeah, I love that. In our relational diet, we need these nutrients. And then you break them into four quadrants or categories. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about each of those briefly. Quadrant one, you talk about being present. What does it look like when a leader receives presence from another person and and why is this so important? Great. Can I go over the theory in 30 seconds so people get what I'm talking about there, Greg? Please do. Please do. The idea is, you know how our body needs bio-nutrients? We all know we need, you know, to take our supplements every day and eat right now. We're getting healthier. And so our bio-nutrients are important to stay healthy. So if, you've got, if you don't have enough calcium every day, you're going to get bone problems. If you don't have enough iron every day, you're going to get like a, a anemia. So in the same way, the concept we have in people fuel is that we have relational nutrients. And that's how we strengthen each other, energize each other. But they don't come in a pill form. They come from brain to brain, my brain to your brain your brain to my brain in the form of conversations. They can be physical conversations, they can be phone calls, they can be texts, but ways that we convey these 22 relational nutrients that make us stronger. Now, those relational nutrients are divided, like you said, into four quadrants. The first one is be present. And what present, being present means is shut up and listen. Like leaders, sometimes we just talk too much and we give too much advice. Sometimes somebody just wants to know that they're okay or they can kind of vent or they know that you're, you're in the well of struggle with them and you can say, I get it, I've been there, I, I, I know where you are. And sometimes a person will say, you know, that's all I needed. I don't need three steps. I need you to be present with me because you know that, because then they know I'm not alone. I know my leader gets me and I'm gonna go off and win the world just because I'm not alone. So be present is a very, very powerful one. Some of the nutrients in be present are acceptance, affirmation, containment, uh, helping people know that you can tune into them, validation of their experience, you're normal, stuff like that. That's the first quadrant. Yeah, give me some insight on the other three. We've got quadrant two is convey the good. Three, yeah, three and three is provide reality and, and four is call to action. So, so two is when we sometimes, somebody just needs like a little boost of positivity in Prozac, like, you know, I want to affirm you did something good. I want to encourage you. I want to show you respect because you deserve it. I want to give you some hope that you're going to get up from this and go again and be resilient. Sometimes people just need to know we believe in them when they stop believing in themselves. That's provide the the good. The third one, give reality, is sometimes when people need our wisdom, our, our insight. You know, I love I love Simon Sinek's um, Power of Why. Somebody, they just need us to un, unveil, why did I do this? Kind of coach me through this. Help me understand the deeper reasons that's happening so I don't make these mistakes again. And the fourth one is call to action because, as you know, in leadership, it's about behavior and action. I need three steps. I need some advice. I need a structure. I need a book to read. I need a conference to go to. I need a plan. And our job as leaders is to know what the people in our lives need between being present, conveying good, giving reality, and, and calling to action, and also what we need. When we wake up every morning, we may not need action. We may need somebody to listen. It's our job to know what we need and what they need. What's interesting to me is if someone's just listening to this, they might say that seems kind of obvious. And in some ways it really is, you know, be present, convey the good. But what I found in working with leaders is these are the things that people on our teams often crave and feel like they're missing. Being present, they often feel like we don't really care. We care more about ourselves or about our organization. Mm -hmm. They feel 
underappreciated so often mm-hmm. that they just want someone to notice. Providing reality or, or creating a, a high feedback culture is one of the things that is so interesting when I'm working with our, our younger leaders is so many of them really haven't received a lot of feedback. They don't know how to receive it, don't know how to give it. And then the call to action is moving people. I really think when people read your book, I hope they'll go through this section slowly and internalize it because if we do those things as leaders, we really can move the needle. And what we're doing is we're, we're communicating that the people that we work with, they matter, they're valuable, we care about them, and then together we can do something really special. In fact, with that in mind, Dr. Townsend, I think my favorite section, because of the application of it, you talk about the seven key relationships that leaders need, or I like what you say, need to avoid, because sometimes (laughs) we need to avoid some types of people. Let's start with coaches. Talk to us about the importance of having that coach or mentor in, in your leadership. Yeah, when you think about the relational nutrients, I mean, what am I supposed to get from the people that are help me be a better person? The highest form of relational nutrients, the, the most the most rich form I can get is from coaches. Now, what's a coach? Well, it could be a mentor, a guide. It could be a counselor. It could be a spiritual director. It could be an executive coach. But the, the thing that brings so much value to the leader from a coach is that they have a subject matter expertise that you don't have. They have information you don't have, and you don't have time to go get it and go take thousands of hours of training. And they don't need you to be there their best friend. So you can be kind of selfish. I mean, when I call my coach, I don't spend half the time talking about his vacation. I spend, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I say, hey, okay, I, how, how's your day? But then it's all about me. And, and I've got more than one coach, actually. They, they guide, they mentor. It's all about my world and my success. So very nutrient-rich source. So we get questions all the time, Dr. Townsend. People write in, how do I find a mentor? How do I find a coach? What advice would you give to someone looking for that coach to invest in them? Well, there's the organic way and there's the more structured, formal way, I think, Craig. The organic way is talk to the people in your life who are successful and say, hey, who's coaching? Because now, if you read Harvard Business Review, coaches are bringing in three to four X what they cost because pure and simple, they really optimize us. So you go find out, talk to the people in your life. But then there are really good coaching organizations, the International Federation of Coaches, Townsend Leadership Group, we provide coaches for people. And, and, you want, and the cool thing about coaches is you don't have to be limited by location anymore. You know, with how great the, the internet is and video conferencing and Skype and all this, I would rather have an A player coach who lives in another state talking to me on Skype than I would a B player coach who's local to me. So they're out there. Yeah, and, and I, again, I want to highlight what you said. So you have, your organization is called? Townsend Leadership Group. And so you provide coaches. Mm-hmm. And we provide coaches, consultants, business consultants, and people who lead uh, small groups of leadership groups around the country where they, they people show up, a group of six to 10 people for a year at a time, and it maximizes what they do. We give them emotional intelligence testing. We help them to grow. We get, help them with strategy. So we do the small group part, the peer group part, we do the coaching part, and we do the going into businesses consulting part. So there's kind of a formalized version of coaching. Yes. I think another another category would just be learning from distant coaches. You may never meet them, but yeah. you know, with podcasts, books, yep. resources, there's no excuse for not growing. And then I wanted to wrap back to your first phrase you talked about more informally. I think this is such an underutilized tool. My recommendation always is don't 
go up and ask someone, would you be my coach? Would you be my mentor? That puts too much pressure on the other person. It feels formal. Just come in with questions yep. as often as you can. And then one of the biggest compliments is to apply what you've learned, mm-hmm. whatever the coach teaches you. Mm-hmm. And I found that leaders love to help people. If I ask you a question kind of after our interview, and then I applied what you taught me, the chances of you wanting to help me again go way, way, way up because you felt like your time was valued and, and your advice was helpful to me. And so I'd really encourage people everywhere you go, you can, you can learn from anybody. So the, the coaches, that's one thing that's really important. And then you talk about comrades. Mm-hmm. What's a comrade in, in your definition? Well, I have a concept called life team and your comrades are your life team. There's three to 10 people in your life that know everything about your strengths, weaknesses, mistakes, wins, and they're also going through life too. That's like, I was thinking about comrades in arms in battle. You're going through the battle of life about having a great company, a great organization, being a great parent, being a great spouse, or whatever you're doing, and everybody is vulnerable to everybody else, and we're all working through life together. So your comrades are the people that, you know, when you're down, you can do that eight-minute windshield wiper call, you know, on the way home and say, look, I just blew it today, and I'm just kind of discouraged. And that person says, I get it. I'm with you. I'm on your side. Tell me more. Eight-minute conversation, you feel better the rest of the day. Or you can have dinner with those people. But it's those people that you share your life with them, and they share your life with you, and it's mutual. We're all comrades in arms. And you can't have a lot more than 10 because it takes time to develop those deeper relationships in your life. So for years I've heard it said, but it's lonely at the top. Agreed or disagreed and why? Agreed, and it's a problem. The reason is, there's a couple of reasons. One is that people are attracted to a leader, sort of like the moths attracted to the flame. Leaders have energy, they're smart, they're creative, they love other people. So people with needs, legitimate needs, go to them for wisdom and counsel and help. But the problem is the leader sometimes makes that into a lifestyle. Every time I talk to a leader and I'll say, hey, what's, what happens when you get in a small group? You know what they say every time? I end up leading the small group because not my, I don't have an attitude about it, it's sort of my giftedness, which makes it lonely at the top. You know, I lead every group I'm with. The second thing is that some leaders are lonely at the top because they don't feel like it's real safe. If I find other people to be open with, I might lose respect, I might let everybody down. But the problem is that attitude goes against the research and performance of the optimized leader. They've got to change that and break through it. Which goes back to your idea about being vulnerable. Yes, with the right people, with the right people. What do you find with the right people? If let's say we're talking to some leaders right now that do feel alone and the pressure feels real and they don't feel like they have other people to relate to, what practical advice would you give them to try to develop a first comrade or two? Yeah, I I have a structure in the book that I talk about it because I tell people, look, I've done this myself because I I wanted to eat my own cooking. You go to Microsoft Outlook. This is very practical. It'll take you two hours. And go to your contacts list and you pick out the people that you think would be, you know, they're they're high performing, but they're also kind and they've got great values and you've got good chemistry with them and you respect them. And you you look through that list on on, on contacts. I think everybody's got between 700, 2,000 people. And, you know, you might see somebody and say, you know, uh, they're still in prison, probably not a good choice. So, but you go down the list, right? And at the end of the list, you go, I've got like 20 people here that I can pick a few from. Pick the first person and you call them and just say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Let's grab lunch. Love to catch up. And in that lunch, while you're talking about life, you make one small vulnerable step. One small vulnerable step. Stick your toe in the water. You say something like, business has been a challenge or 
we're just not where we need to be in the marketplace, or my culture and my teams aren't doing like they should, or I got a, maybe even something personal, like I've got a kid who's not doing well, I've got a teenager who's struggling, whatever. But you take a small, vulnerable step, and there'll be three possible responses where you'll find out if this person can qualify or not. Response number one is, oh my gosh, isn't the weather great today? Now, Craig, if somebody says that after you've taken a risk, what are you going to think they're trying to tell you? I uh, hope they're buying lunch and we're done with this. <laughs> Yeah, they're saying, I don't want to go there. I don't like that stuff. I just want to be talking about positive things. I'll just be diverting. Nice guy, never be in the comrade list. The second response is, well, uh, okay, okay, that's interesting about your business. Okay, step number one, uh, you've got to read this book. Step number two is make sure you do this. Step number three is make sure you wake up early. You know, every leader needs to wake up early. Step number four, are you taking your vitamins? What they're telling you is, I don't want to be with you and hang out with you and support you. I'm going to give you 14 pieces of advice because I'm an advice giver. I don't really listen. I just give advice. Not qualified. We all need advice, but sometimes we just need the listening. Step number three, and this is the one that's the winner. They stop. They put their fork down. They look at you. They lean forward. They give you eye contact, and they go, I had no idea. I didn't know it was a struggle. I'm so sorry about your your kid or about your business. Tell me more. And you go, wait a minute. They are with me. They want to listen to me, and that means they qualify. So, this is going to take about four months of different lunches, and about the third or fourth lunch, when it, if it works right and they're like with, with you and they're talking about their life, then you say the following. Hey, I'm getting serious about personal growth. I found out that business growth and personal growth go together. I'm getting intentional about it. I'm starting to get some people together I want to meet with regularly just to share life and challenge each other and get to know each other, and I'm interested. And when I've taken my clients through that, Craig, and I say, go out and do it, and a couple of months they'll come back and I'll say, how's it going? You know what they'll say? They'll say, 90% of the people that I talked to said, are you kidding? I don't have this in my life. All I've got is my spouse and my Labrador retriever. This is the best thing I've ever seen. Sign me up. And they start meeting regularly, and then things happen. This to me is so important as a leader. I honestly don't feel lonely in what I do. There, there are times when I feel like, yeah, most people don't understand. But I found, Dr. Townsend, that even getting out of kind of my niche meaning I am a pastor, but going and, and meeting with business people that maybe don't completely understand the pressures of the church, they still do understand pressures of high-level leadership. And that kind of cross-learning— I call it cross-pollination. Cross-pollination is a great phrase. It, it's, it's, it's one of the richest gifts to me, um, and to get someone else's perspective. And sometimes it's not even that they just give you advice. It's just someone that cares that's enough to keep you going. It's funny. I, I often tell my, my people that are maybe in real estate, go talk to a movie guy. Or I tell people in medical supplies, go, you know, go, go talk to someone in third world countries. And they'll come back and they'll go, I picked up so many business ideas that I can apply. We really need to cross-pollinate. They, they can be objective because sometimes we're too close to our own industry. Yes. And we don't see the things that someone else will see. Some of, some of the biggest ministry breakthroughs that we've had have come from people that really don't know even the language of ministry, but they see it with um, through a different lens. Yep. And, and I think those are great, yep. um, great relationships. I want to skip down a little bit. Uh, let me give all of them because I think they're important. These are the, the key relationships. You talk about coaches, comrades, casuals, colleagues. By the way, the fact that they all begin with C is just cocky. See what I did there? It's cocky. <laughs> One of them is care, chronics, and then contaminants. I want to talk for a moment about the final three 
If you're caring for too many people, if you're dealing with those who are more chronic in how you relate to them, and then the contaminants, eventually you're going to wear out. So uh, unpack those three a little bit for me. I actually love Zanolos. When I created the model of the seven C's, um, I wanted people to have a quick way to, to identify the, the gains in their life and the drains in their life. Now, care is those people that a leader needs to help because we're, we're designed to help. We're supposed to help. We're supposed to give and serve. It might be some boards you're on. It might be that you're helping a third world country to, you know, have water wells. It might be helping with mentoring some younger person in business who wants to get there. It's, it's the way you give to other people and don't ask for anything back. And we found out from the neuroscience that when you give, it's called altruism. All of a sudden, your hormone gets, gets flushed in the system that says, I'm happy. It makes us happy. So we're supposed to give. But the problem is some of us give so much to, and we're on too many boards and we're mentoring too many people, we get drained. So you got to have a balance there. You can't do it with everybody. Now, chronics are different. I raised my kids with my wife in California, but when I was raised in the South in North Carolina, and we have, in North Carolina, we had a phrase called bless their heart. Now, a bless their heart person is the person that they're just kind of a mess and they're always a mess. They've always got financial problems and relationship problems. They can't keep a job and can't keep it together and always kind of in a crisis. And the problem is all of us have messes, but the problem with the chronic, Craig, is they have what the psychologists call a flat learning curve. A flat learning curve. So you spend all this time sitting down one there and mentoring them and going to Starbucks. Instead of going to your kids' soccer games, you're there with them every Saturday at 630 and give them all this advice and wisdom, and they don't do one thing with it. They just they just want to hang out with you because you're a nice person. And you kind of start seeing, you know, I've been spending, you know, all a lot of time with this person. Nothing's changing because they just kind of want somebody nice. They don't really want to change. And they can be a big source of time wasting of your own energy. That's the chronic. The last one is contaminants. And contaminants are just bad people. Unfortunately, there's some bad people in the world. And they envy you and they don't like it that you're successful and they want to tear up your organization. Your, your, they want to tear up your marriage. They want to tear up your family. And anytime you're around a person that's destructive like that, you can't mess around. You know, when I wrote Boundaries, there was a lot of stuff about that, about you got to set a very firm limit and not give those people a lot of bandwidth in your life. And what we found out about that whole picture of the seven C's, Craig, is that most leaders are very, very weak on the coaches and comrades and way too many care chronic contaminants and they're what we call bottom heavy. I don't mean physically bottom heavy, but they gotta get in balance because they got too many drains and not enough gains. They gotta right size that so they get balanced. You know, as I look at the uh, the chronics and the contaminants, uh, I'm thinking from a leadership perspective, both personally, meaning if I let too many of those people dominate my time, there's gonna be less of me to be effective in, in influencing others. I'm also thinking about them organizationally, meaning I think there are times when we tolerate inappropriate behavior organizationally, and I think we lose so much credibility deeper in the organization when we, I can't remember who said it, but they, they said basically we sanction incompetence, mm-hmm. I think was a phrase. Mm-hmm. We allow people that are unhealthy or kind of cancerous in the organization to pollute it. And what's always been interesting to me is is we tend to overestimate how painful it is to remove that chronic person. But yet on the other side, we, we underestimate how much relief the organization feels when it's finally done. Would you agree? It's so funny, Craig. Every consulting client I have when I'm working with a CEO and they, they feel really loyal to somebody who's really just useless or has passed their time and they feel so guilty and loyal. And I'll just kind of 
get with them and say, look at the metrics. This is not working. They are not performing for your group and you've tried everything you can. And I'll ask them six months later after they let go of the person, they feel awful. How are they going to exist? Six months later, I'll say, how did it go? And they'll go, 100%. I've been doing this a long time. 100% the CEO will tell me, why didn't I do that sooner? They found another job. Things are okay. We're so, so much happier. It's just the fears we have at the, at, at the front end, but on the back end, intense relief. I want to pause right there and kind of restate what you just said, because I feel like this could help some leaders. There are some of you right now that you might have a person, you you love them, but the organization's outgrown them. They're, they're loyal, but they're really incapable of performing at the level at which you need right now. And what Dr. Townsend said, and, and if you don't know, he consults with some of the, the greatest leaders and organizations around the country. And what he just said was 100% of the time, not 98.5% of the time, but 100% of the time on the other side, the response is, why didn't we do this earlier? It never is as bad as it seems when you make a transition, but the the upside on the other side, for me, based on my own experience and the people I work with, you always wonder why didn't we do it sooner? And so you can add a little more color to that if you want to, but I just wanted to drive that point home because I know there's some people out there right now dealing with some difficult people decisions, and it doesn't mean that we don't love them. In fact, it really actually means that we do love them, not to let them stay in a place that they're not quite gifted to perform at the best level. Good for them, good for us. And I tell somebody who's, who's very afraid of that and doesn't want to be a bad guy and feels really compassionate, and I just say, you got to get with somebody and role play that conversation. Role play the termination conversation. It's hard to do, but when you role play with somebody, you come out and you go, okay, I felt all the anxiety, I felt all the guilt, I felt all the, the compassion, and I survived. And it makes it easier to have the real talk. Once you get started, the talk usually goes a little, at least you can't stop it. <laughs> Once you get started, I found. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, getting it started is the most difficult part for uh, for most of us. And, and so often, Craig, they'll say, you know, I knew this was coming. I mean, it's not a big surprise to people. Yes. And if we do our job well, then they actually will know it's coming, yes. meaning we've given them a chance. Yes. And that's the best in, in all the worlds. I'm curious, Dr. Townsend, most of the time when I finish a book, and it, you know, we write it long before it ever comes out, and then it comes out, and you're like, oh, I just learned this new thought. I wish I'd put that in there. Is there anything that's between the uh, turning it in and the book coming out that you're, you've learned or you wish you would have added to the, the book? Gosh, I think probably, yeah, because all writers are, as you know, we're all sort of perfectionistic and we think a lot about all that. Probably I would have um, emphasized the importance of the relational nutrients even more than I did. Just so people start thinking, when I wake up in the morning, I know it's about my people. I'm a leader. I've got to, I've got to service my people, my family, my employees, my, 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 you know, everybody in my life. But when I said that part about we need to need, I would have probably emphasized that more because the leader that is giving to others from an empty tank, something's going to happen. Something You can't keep giving to people from an empty tank. It's going to be an energy problem, concentration problem, irritability problem, focus problem. So I, I would have emphasized a little bit, you got to be a little bit selfish in a healthy way so you can go change the world. I'd love to give you a chance to say a little bit more, but I would love for you to talk directly to someone who's listening right now, a leader who does feel like the tank is empty. What advice would you give to that leader to help start refilling the tank? Well, first I would say that we get it. All of us are this way. Every leader I know has a problem, some kind of a problem in like not feeling that demand to be a leader to everybody. But what I found 
is that you probably have some people in your life that if you'll open up to them a bit, maybe not people, not employees and stuff, but people in your life for life and say, I just need to have somewhere to kind of vent besides my spouse and my Labrador, you will be amazed at the people that go, you know, I'm so glad you said that. I respect you. I want to be with you. I'm your friend. And you're always giving to me. I'm glad you're giving me an opportunity to get back. It'll be a miraculous event when, when you allow somebody to say, I'm so glad you're asking me to help you in the journey. This is really good. And people who are helping love to be needed and love to make a difference in their lives. So it's actually giving them a gift yes. to be a blessing to you as well. Yep. Well, Dr. Townsend, you've been a gift, literally millions and millions of us with your research. I, I love your writing. Not, not only are you a great writer, but I love that you often approach leadership through neuroscience and talk about how the brain works. And, and that, that adds a dimension that I don't know naturally. And, and it's helpful to me and to so many other leaders. The book is called People Fuel, Fill Your Tank for Life love and leadership. If um, I, I know we've got some leaders out here that probably heard you mention earlier on, you, you do coaching through your organization. If someone wants to find out more about you or um, what you have to offer, where would they go to learn? Uh, just drtownsend.com, drtownsend.com. There's also some information about our coach organization, but also we have an institute, Craig. We now have a formal academic program where you can get an online master's in organizational leadership or a master's in executive coaching and consulting through our group that we've been working for several years now. And so people can get, actually get a degree if they don't want to just get professional training. Excellent. Well, I, I appreciate you making that available to us. And thank you for your hard work and being generous to share it in, in books. I know that people want to get the book one more time. It's called People Fuel. Uh, Dr. Townsend, thank you for your contribution to leaders all over the world and uh, both being a blessing to me and so many others. Thanks for what you do, Craig. Thank you so much, Dr. Townsend. It's been an honor to have you with us. And thank you to our leadership community. It's an honor to have you with us. We'll be together again on the first Thursday of next month, releasing a brand new podcast. And I want to say again, thank you so much to those of you who share this and invite others to be a part of our leadership community. If you'd like more detailed notes about this or information on where you can get Dr. Townsend's book, you can just email us, go to life.church slash leadership podcast. Let us know your email. We'll send you the detailed notes. They'll drop also on the first Thursday of every month. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so. And again, as Dr. Towns was saying, hey, bring yourself, have the courage to be vulnerable. Don't feel the pressure to always know everything because people would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. Thank you for joining us at the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. If you want to go even deeper into this episode and get the leadership guide or show notes, you can go to life.church slash leadership podcast. You can also sign up to have that information delivered straight to your inbox every month. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining us at the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast.